This week, we take a look at the cult hit Pitch Black. And along the way, we ask, is Riddick an anti-hero or just a straight-up villain? Why is a Muslim preacher traveling across the galaxy with three young men? And just how easy is it to build a career in Hollywood playing the same three characters? Let's get a shine job and go for the sweet spot in this edition of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another awesome episode of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. My name is the shine job Sean Michael Culp, and along the way is... I guess um, by default, uh, the booze hound, Chris the, Rupp. The booze hound? I guess you could be the merc. Right? No, I mean, yeah. I, I, I identified more with the, um, the Paris, <laughs> the character who you had a sarcophagus filled with the booze. The booze. But isn't he like a pansy throughout this? Well, I identify with some aspects of his character. Oh, well, I guess it I shows mean, if us I were going a great a, deal about who you are, Chris. <laughs> if I were going on an intergalactic trip, I would definitely have a carton or a trunk full of booze. booze? You know what? I totally agree with that. <laughs> Why not be drunk when you go and travel abroad? Yeah. So as Sean mentioned at the top of the show, we are discussing the 2000 cult classic Pitch Black. The actual, this is a cult classic. Yes, this is the lot. definition of a cult classic. Sean likes to throw that <laughs> term out willy-nilly <laughs> on the show, but this certainly applies this week. Faux shizzle. So let's break down the synopsis, synopsis man. All right. So when an intergalactic ship crash lands on a planet with a seemingly never-ending day cycle, the uh, remaining crew and passengers, along with an infamous murderer, must figure out a way to survive in this desolate environment. However, when they discover that this planet is infested with dangerous creatures who hunt only in darkness, the mission stakes are increased, and when an eclipse threatens to endanger them all, they must escape before it's too late. So, cool premise, right? That sounds amazing on paper, and it's literally what happens. Yeah. Super basic, super easy. Pretty, yeah, straightforward film. Straightforward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, written and directed by David Toohey. Who, I guess he wrote The Fugitive? Yes. Which I think would be more of like the best. That's probably the, the peak for him writing-wise. Which is surprising because he's kind of uh, made his bones in science fiction films. He wrote on Alien 3. Critters um, 2. Yeah, not Critters 1. Critters 2 is his credit. <laughs> which is the less the less excitable one. I haven't seen either of those, so I, I don't know what they're like. Oh, the, the first one's good. The second one is just, it's bad. Hmm. It's really bad. It's like the sequel to this film. And then the film is starring Vin Diesel, who uh, really became a household name after this film, I feel like. Yeah, I would say this is his breakthrough role that most people attributed it to. Um, I guess he got the role from Steven Spielberg. It kind of like helped out. Steven cast him in Saving Private Ryan due to his multi-facial like thing that he made himself, and then his role in Saving Private Ryan kind of caught up David Tui. Yeah, is that how you say it? Tui? I think it's David Tui. Baby, got it. Well, prior to this, he had supporting roles in Saving Private Ryan, as we mentioned in uh, the Boiler Room. Yeah, that. With- yeah. Giovanni Ribisi also voiced the Iron Giant. Which is kind of cool. Another I film, film in our list. It's in our list. It's a, It qualifies. <laughs> oh my God, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to get to that one. Same with Guardians. So so pretty much after this, 
it's pretty much just voiceover Vin. <laughs> pretty much. Unless we do Babylon, Babylon AD. Also starring Cole Hauser as uh, Johns, who is a real... Uh, D-bag? Yeah, I guess he definitely has some uh, serial killer tendencies, I would say. Well, he's a merc. Yeah. He just pretends to be a cop. Yeah, more of a villain than Riddick is, and but Cole Hauser crushes oh, he's great playing the heel in just about every movie he's in. And it's a young Cole Hauser. I think he's like 23, 24. He's one of those guys like Paul Rudd who's mm-hmm. able to pull off this eternal youthful look. <laughs> That's true. Paul Rudd never ages. Whatever fountain of youth they're drinking from or whatever vegan cocktail they've come up w- with. Whatever plastic surgeon that gives them Botox. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> want that recipe, not going <laughs> to lie. So would you say this last guy on the list is a legend in no. movies? You don't think he's a legend? He hasn't done any like big time movies. Big time movies? All right. Although one guy I would consider in this cast to be a legend, I would uh, say Keith David as yeah, Imam. That's, that's what I was going to say. Keith David. Wouldn't you consider him a legend? Oh, Keith David yeah. is absolutely a legend. Because he's, his career's gone TV, movies, and video games. I, you've probably never played him, but Mass Effect, he's a big role in that video game series. And that thing was huge in the 2000s. No, he starred in several John Carpenter films, mm-hmm. uh, The Thing and They Live, most prominently, done voice work. Yeah. For years. Oh, his voice is no he's like he is Morgan Freeman wasn't yeah, he's like right up there with Morgan Freeman with the indistinguishable voice. And James Earl Jones. Yeah. Who would have thought? Well, also in the cast we have uh Rada Mitchell as uh I get I'm not sure of her rank in the film as Fry. Fry. The uh the overzealous pilot. And who she's been in stuff after this? Maybe she was in a Silent Hill Silent film. Finding Neverland. That's right. She is Johnny Depp's wife. Yeah. In Finding Neverland. She's she's more well known, I think, for doing television than she is for this. Yeah. Which is, I mean, is common for television actors to get some film roles every now and then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Why not, man? Get that paycheck. And then the cast is kind of filled out by a ton of Australian actors. Like Owens <laughs> is played by an Aussie. So is Jack Shaza Zeke. They're all Aussies. That's because this whole film was made in Australia. Yeah, made in the middle of an Australian desert where they also filmed uh, Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, they got the pretty much four people that are the big stars, and they're like, all right, budget. Uh, (laughs) Who wants to be in this film and die five minutes in? But made on a budget of $23 million, which I thought to be impressive for the look we got of the film. Oh, yeah. Granted, I I couldn't find a ton on pre-production because all of the quote-unquote special features on the DVD were like four and a half minutes long. I hate it when DVDs do that, but this is like back in the 90s and 2000s where they're like, hey, we got an interview. Yeah, at this point in DVDs, like showing the theatrical trailer qualified as a special feature. Yeah, that's so stupid to me, but we're just used to like Avengers and Star Wars, Star Trek type stuff, so that's okay. Well, and this is also a good point to just jump into the meat and potatoes and start talking about the movie. Sure. I mean, obviously, the central character of the film is Richard B. Riddick, played by Vin Diesel. And I don't know if it's Vin Diesel's portrayal or just how the character was written, but he constantly walks this line throughout the film of neither being a hero or an, a villain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't know what you gleaned from him, but I, what, what are I your thoughts on he's him? He's one of the ultimate anti-heroes to me. Because he does walk that line throughout the entire film where you're just like, wow, this guy is a dick, man. But then he does, he has great qualities at the end. They redeems himself. But I honestly wouldn't say his like last effort to get him off the planet was at all like, I don't think that equated for the whole 
garbage actions that he had towards because he let so many people die. And I guess we could talk about like, is it like, should he have saved him because he was a convict that he knew he was going back to jail? So maybe he just didn't care. Well, there were so many people that he had the chance to maybe not necessarily save, but at least help out. Well, maybe Riddick just isn't down with the altruism, man. Could be. I maybe mean, he's... but he has that chance to save Zeke when he's yeah. pulled into that tunnel and, and killed. He has a chance to maybe save Shaza. Yeah. Um, he directly leads one of the the Muslim pilgrims to his death. <laughs> he literally, and he's standing next to the kid and it was a great shot where he just like slings back into the dark. Well, there's that one when they're uh, after the eclipse has occurred, but then there's the one when he leads that kid into the, into the coring room. Yeah. And then he's killed by like the, the baby raptors, I guess. Yeah. The kid's right by him. He just takes off the tarp and it's like coring room. And then the kid just goes right in there, man. Oh, JK. Then he has a hand in John's death, but I felt yeah. that regardless of what happened to, the other characters in the film, him and Johns were going to duke it out at some point, and Johns was going to be the loser in that fight. They had to. There's just too much of a track history between them because Johns, he has that scene with Fry where he shows her the piece of his, what would you call it, shank? That's like stu- it's the scar that he has on his lower back, but yes. because of where the knife was stuck, they couldn't remove it all. Yeah, because he went for the sweet spot, but it broke off in there, so he has to take the morphine for the rest of his life. But I could see they just like had that relationship that went back so far that there's no way that both of them were getting off this planet. Yeah, it's this weird combination that Johns has of getting a big payday and revenge that he wants to yeah. see Riddick burn. It's really, it is fascinating. I, did I felt like Johns, Riddick, and then a little bit of Fry were kind of the big proponents that drove this film that you really got to know throughout. Definitely the actions of Fry are what led them yeah. to be on the planet in the first place. But again, she's not very likable either because no. she considered barbecuing the entire all of the passengers just so they could land safely on the planet. Yeah, she wanted to eject the entire cargo out. And it wasn't for uh, Owen, I guess. Owens. Owens, who stopped her from basically ejecting the entire uh, cabin. And then he dies. Yeah. He gets shrapnel right in his chest. Everyone who tries to do the right thing and everyone who's just reprehensible in this entire film is killed. Yeah. It's terrible. Like the only two people who come out alive in the end are Imam and Jack. Yeah. And they're both neutral good. Like they they don't do anything that's necessarily good and they don't do anything that's necessarily evil. And yet they come out alive. Yeah. And Riddick is the only one who's left. But again, like what is he in this movie? Is he... The hero, or is he the villain? He's just continuing. He plays jump rope with this line. I would I think, say. I think that's why people like from the cult following really enjoy his character because he's not someone that you could just pigeonhole into. He's always going to do the stereotypical good guy or the bad guy. He's he's kind of like Han Solo in a way, but just more gruesome. He's like when Han shot first before. We got the rewrite. I don't know if I exactly agree with that because Han does, he does redeem himself in the end Mm -hmm. where he goes back and saves Luke and assists the rebellion. But so does Riddick. But after- Well, kind of. But I guess that's kind of the thing where was he initially going to go back and save them or was it Fry showing that she was crying, you know, and literally couldn't, like she was on the ground because she couldn't step forward onto the ship. Riddick was perfectly okay with leaving them on the planet, so I think it has more to do with Fry appealing yeah. to, trying to appeal to him more so than anything else. It wasn't until Fry said, hey, I'd die for them, that he was like, 
that's interesting. And then that was the moment that he wanted to go and say. I don't. I don't think he's ever Riddick had ever experienced or known what that's like to see someone that could just put their life on the line for total strangers. Yeah. That that's probably why I think he's such a fascinating character. He's been abandoned by everyone else in his life. I mean, we don't get a ton of backstory. No. With Riddick in this film, at least. Um, but I think it's just so shocking to him to see somebody who's willing to put their lives on the line for mm. people they hardly know, like you said. Yeah. And he's just like, whoa, like there, yeah. like there's more than to life than just being a solitary creature. They are him and Fry are the stark contrast throughout the film. She tries to help people throughout and like lead them home, whereas he doesn't take part. I think that's what uh, David did a good job with writing the script. There he, were, a, I think he focused more on the relationship between Johns mm-hmm. and Riddick and Fry and Riddick. Mm-hmm. And I think he focused more uh, so on that triangle than he yeah. did on anywhere else in the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, and it definitely shows. Oh, yeah. Well, they're the most interesting characters. Did you like the shoehorn of Jack being a female? Or did that feel just like push or I don't know. For, have you seen this film prior? To this I had, film? yes. Okay. Well, um, I just, I don't know if that was exactly a big needed. I mean, it was or, one of yeah. those, it was a curveball moment that, yeah. I mean, granted, at the time, if you see this for the, the first time, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just like, whoa, she's yeah. a girl now? What? Like, what? And it was like, did they just make her the plot point? Because that's why the animals are chasing them, because she's got her period. Well, I think they were going to chase them regardless. Right. Because, hey, it's food. But they got their scent from the blood. Mm-hmm. And so I guess no one had scratches except Jack doing her thing, man. Yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, the whole concept of the creatures themselves was a bit weird to me. Well, let's describe the creatures for the viewers. They're kind of like... Hammerhead shark heads with eyes that see only in darkness, only in darkness. And the vision that you can see them is if your TV, it wasn't plugged like back in the day when the screen would go all fuzzy. And I would say your TV looked like that if it was half plugged in. Yeah. And you were trying to watch a channel that you didn't have access to or you weren't paying for. Yeah. And that's their vision. Essentially, they could see the outlines of humans like your facial structures. But it's basically in that gray, black and white. Feature and they've got wings. They're called raptors. Well, there's three stages of them that I found out. There was the the okay. larva. They're the bioluminescent larva oh. that they find in the. I guess it's like a cave. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, and they then, end up using them. How interesting. Yeah, and then there's the the baby stage where they're where they're flying and they're much more vicious and all that. And then you have the adult ones that have you know the big old teeth and then mm. the hammerhead look to them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess it's the inverted. Yes. Hammerhead look. The inverted hammerhead. I like how they use the larva as light. When they're babies, they're light, but then as adults, they can't stand the light. Yeah. See, that's like some of the chops in this film where I'm like, oh, that's really witty and interesting, like how it's a full circle. There's a lot of things in the movie that just like either don't age well or just didn't make a ton of sense to me. Like for one- The astronomy people. Yeah. For one, the creatures themselves, the visual effects on them- I mean, granted, it's 20 years later. Look a bit dated. They do. I I think the best effects that hold up to me were when Riddick views all the monsters like coming out of the tunnels. That was pretty cool when you could see through his vision. Uh, When you saw the monsters close up, though, when he was like going head to head with one, 
you could tell it was like, ooh, this is kind of like a cheesy video game from like early 2000s. Well, what did it for me was the teeth. The teeth really stuck out and not in a cool attack the block kind of way. Yeah. See, I watched it on my phone, so it didn't bother me too bad where I was like, oh, okay. As all of the great movies should be but, watched. <laughs> but as I, if I watched that probably on like a TV, like a 36 inch or something, 48, I'd probably be like, did oh. you Did you watch it in the tub with candles out? I watched it while I was driving to work. We do not advocate anybody does that on the Force Fed Sci-Fi podcast. Well, Chris doesn't advocate it. No, I, I watched. Say, I watched this movie from the comfort of the test. I watched this movie in the comfort of my home and without having to drive to work while trying to pay attention. And was it comfortable? Yes, it was very comfortable. That's good. I had my pajamas on. I was. I was ready to watch it. <laughs> Your PJs? Yeah, my PJs. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit it. That's okay, man. I'm not giving you crap. Every man needs some type of sleeping wear. <laughs> okay. So, the raptors. So yes, you don't and they were, they were called raptors. That was interesting. We don't we don't hear their name at well, any point throughout the film. Could this be our first interpretation of dinosaurs as they should be? Because no. Because didn't they think raptors were like birds, came from descendants of birds? Maybe this is like the dinos in the mid-evolution, huh? Huh? No, you're grasping no. for straws here. Like I, I, I don't see how that could work. Okay, just thought it, you know. But I did like uh, some of the scenes with those monsters were pretty cool. I yeah. Liked the when they were young raptors flying, I thought those aged well. The ones that were the worst were probably when you saw them big up and close. But still, I mean, I mean for that though, I. If the production had invested maybe in animatronics or props, yeah, like that would have added to the realism and heightened the tension a little bit. But because they had a couple, yeah, when I mean, he was like slicing and dicing them, especially the scene where Riddick is figuring out the blind spot on them, and then oh. when it bites John's head off, dude, yeah, like the close-up shots where it's just all computer graphics was a bit like, it's not that great. It wasn't. But I still liked John's head getting bit off. I thought that was a great scene. Well, and it was a big payoff because oh, so awesome. we, <laughs> we've never liked this character at any point. I mean, he's the only character in the film where we're just like full on in for the win on the hate on John's. Yeah. And then when his head gets bitten off, we're just like, okay, yeah, yes. you deserve that. Oh. Because prior to that, he was talking about cutting up Jack. Yeah. And leaving her like 50 feet behind them. Oh, you do her and pull her 45 to 50 feet behind us. And like, Rick's like, oh, I don't want it to be that close. Like, dude, that's Ted Bundy stuff. Like, you're, you're sick. But that whole buildup to that scene was incredible to where he's like, I think we might need something bigger. And then they just go at it. I love that scene in this film. They, he sets them up for a lot of different payoffs that I believe is what helps this movie to keep moving forward where it doesn't like dwell too much on like expository dialogue or something that would be boring. It's very much uh, like scene based. Oh yeah. And I felt where this movie shined the most was definitely within the last 35, 40 minutes of it. When they're, when it's pitch black. Yes. Like when it when is the, pitch... when the solar eclipse happens. Yeah. They've loaded up the sled with the power cells and they're wearing mm -hmm. the, um, the light up tubes from the crashed ship and they're trying to make their way to, I guess, I guess I would just call it a planet jumper in this case. Yeah. I felt that that sequence was the best in the film. I oh, thought yeah. that that was top notch writing and filmmaking. Mm -hmm. I just wish that David Toohey would have leaned a bit more hard into the horror aspect of the whole thing. Because mm -hmm. the last half of the film is, is in pitch darkness. That's true. I think when I saw it when I was like 12, I was pretty scared by it because of the suspense. 
because he has the raptors come in at random moments. Like, for example, when they just get out of the ship and John's is like, is the coast clear or something? Looks clear. Looks clear. And then, boom, they hit him. And it's like, You said it was clear. It looks clear. (laughs) How does it look now? Looks clear. (laughs) Or however Vin Diesel talks. Well, some of those moments I think are great. Yeah. Where it's kind of, it could be a jump scare. We don't get a ton of levity in the film, though. I feel a lot of that comes from Paris. Yes. His character and his dialogue, especially. In, He's, yeah. I mean, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't really help out in getting them off planet or just anything. Gets drunk and sits under his umbrella drinking booze. Contemplating <laughs> about how he should have died in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he's never been. But I was so happy when he died. Well, yeah, and then he he has that great visual in the film oh, of loading yeah. up with 45-proof whiskey, which doesn't burn like that, and then shooting no. a big fireball right into the creature's faces. So that's what I mean. There's so many great moments in this where you just look at it and go, wow, with Riddick fading into the black, that. I love the scene where he gets nose-to-nose with the guy, and with the raptor, and he can't see. He goes back and forth, back. That's just, it's awesome. This is art, baby. <laughs> well, it's just, it's survivor mentality is what mm-hmm. Riddick lives with. He does. Throughout his entire life. And he says it in the opening scene when he does the voiceover. Like, it's only your animal instincts that keeps you awake through cryosleep. Must be why I can't sleep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Did you like some of the lines or how did you feel about the dialogue? A lot of it was cheesy. A lot of it. What was the cheesiest? Because I like some of them. Like the sweet spot. Oh, uh, the thing. end. <laughs> the end, my God goodness when they're about to take off when they should have just taken off and then riddick turns off the engines for some reason <laughs> and then jack is looking at him like well what are you doing like we can't leave without saying good night <laughs> yeah you know i expected him to put on his goggles yes yes like and then Horatio Kane, and then music from the who kicks in i fully <laughs> expected it all to go csi miami right there i wonder if on youtube someone's done that well probably this movie doesn't have that much clout yeah, to be honest, though, I mean, as cheesy as that sequence is, that was not my lens flare. No, what was your lens flare? You know, as much as I identify with Paris having a sarcophagus full of booze, I would have to say that that is my lens flare of the film. That was your okay. I mean, sarcophagus. I mean, he's a professional. He's an antiquities dealer slash archaeologist. Yeah, and he has a a sarcophagus, <laughs> not a trunk, not a box. Yeah, a sarcophagus of booze. Of booze. Yeah. It seems a bit weird. Like, if he's going to die, he wants to take his booze with him. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're on an intergalactic trip, I would, A, not have a sarcophagus, and B, I would have it full of practical things I would want for my destination. <laughs> Change of clothes, some toiletries. Maybe he's an alcoholic. Yeah. Maybe that's th- the movie we need to see. Little column A, little column B. <laughs> Paris slowly just like becoming an alcoholic. It's it's all a I sham. I feel like he's already there. Maybe he's like- uh, He doesn't need much help from Riddick to get there though. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. He can do it all himself because he sabotaged everything anyways. Well, what about you? What was your lens flare, Sean? My lens flare was probably the swear words. There was just they were so oddly placed with the mm. the f bombs, especially at the beginning. Where you're just like, whoa! Which is weird because David Tui is capable of writing dialogue that doesn't involve f bombs. Exactly, it's just weird. But as we found out later with these films, the dialogue gets cheesier in like the second and third one, where you're just like, oh. I just thought it was also weird that everyone's introducing themselves by including their middle initial. Yeah. Like, that was is, weird. 
if if we gotten at some point in the future where we have to start introducing ourselves by including middle initial with last name, how would you go by? I don't know. <laughs> it would I like I can't go like Chris P. Rupp. Like that's just it's too short. It have to be Christopher P. Rupp. Christopher P. Rupp. I mean Chris P. Rupp. Yeah, that would be kind of funny. My question to you is, how did you feel about the deaths? Overly gruesome. Overly gruesome. Too. So more gruesome than they should have been for a movie like this. Yeah? Like, which ones stood out for you? Uh, I would say Shaza's death, for one. Okay. Um, Zeke's death really occurs, like, off screen, and that's the first real death that we get in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, random red shirt. Is the first step. Oh, right? yeah. That's Our red unanimous redshirt is the random unnamed passenger who comes up to the crash ship and be like, oh, I thought I was the only one. Then Zeke shoots him three times in the chest <laughs> and just explodes gore and viscera <laughs> all over Shaza and Jack. Like, and they don't scream or anything. Like, dude, what is wrong with you? The definition of a red shirt. Yes, we got one. Yes. yes. I feel like Zeke was just looking for an excuse to actually kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. Well, because he, what's the first thing he says when he walks up? He just nonchalantly says, I thought it was Riddick. Like, dude, you've seen Riddick. Know what he looks like. He's yeah. a bald, jacked man. He this looks, guy was large, old. Like, wearing white. I know. Riddick's wearing all black. And all he'd do is turn around because Riddick was sitting in uh, Paris's chair with the umbrella chugging his booze. And if it actually was Riddick, you wouldn't have seen him. He probably would have just killed everyone and then you would have discovered the corpses later. That's true. Because he is the stealth master. I mean, Riddick is probably like human predator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd have him on my hit squad. <laughs> if I wanted to eliminate someone, I'd be like, you. Uh, so the deaths were gruesome for you. So gruesome. Then you there's thought, also the, okay. the definitely the religious pilgrims. There were, yeah. They are reserved some of the, the worst deaths Because one film. dude gets like chopped in half, right? Yeah. And then the other kid, he He's gets He's bifurcated like, in the torso. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what was the little kid? He gets his eyes eaten out, and like his whole like skin peeled off his face. He gets flayed pretty much. Did you watch the director's cut? Yes. Okay, so yeah, they open the door and just poof, his body yeah, his falls. skinless, eyeless body just falls down. Oof. And then the last one is just um, strung up by the neck and dragged away from the the canyon wall. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's gonna get eaten and bifurcated, and his eyes are gonna get sucked out probably. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike the uh, the chick who gets uh, cut in half. Yeah, Shaza. 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 She gets she gets um taken away by the babies and eaten and torn in half. Like I just ah! you didn't have to do all that. I feel like if you just like her legs are still her, kicking. If you just dragged her away. Yeah. And like yeah, it's she's going to die because she's getting dragged away by thousands of the baby raptors. Like yeah, hers was probably the worst for me. Yeah. When I saw it, I was like, ugh, that sucks. Just because she like did it to herself. She just stood up and the raptors come and kill her. Even though Riddick knows that they're gonna do a second pass. Really the only one who spared the gruesome death is Fry at the end of the film. Yeah. And that one's bad too, just because it's like she's made the entire way and it's right before the end and just bam. See, I thought the entire time I've watched this film. I thought Riddick stabbed her, mm-hmm. and then because the creature smelled the blood, mm-hmm. got her and took her away. I didn't know that she got speared. And they make it look like that. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah, she gets speared. Like, that's confusing. I know. See, when I first watched it, I thought it was either Riddick gets stabbed or her. I never thought that he stabbed her. It just To me, it just didn't make sense plot-wise. Why would he come back, save everyone, then be like, ha-ha, 
Ha ha, stab. <laughs> it's like, what? You psycho. Then I would totally agree with him being the straight up villain. Because he'd be like, this man's a monster, literally. But that death always stuck with me. I'm like, man, she's such a good character. I would have loved to have her in the second one fleshed out. But she served her purpose for the film. Yeah, so maybe, you know, she sense. and Riddick, you know, hook up and have a couple, you know, right. murderous babies. Right? Well, it just feels like in every one of these films, it's like he finds some chick that always dies. It's like uh, Matt Damon in Bourne. Yeah. Bourne series. Like the Matt Damon <laughs> finds a girlfriend. That always dies. All right. So depths would. Here's another question I got for you. So the big decision John does in this film is he lets Riddick go. Like he takes off the cup. Would you have let Riddick go with everything you knew up to that point? It's a life or death situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I were John's, like I probably would not have treated Riddick as harshly as John's does. Especially at the end. He has so much undisguised animosity towards him. Oh, yeah. And you just know that they're going to, clash at some point and you know one of them more than likely John's is going to die and you're in a life or death situation and you're going to be mean to the one person who gives you the best chance of getting off the planet alive yeah and on top of that you're still going to be a garbage human to everybody else in your party I mean if he were in a D&D clan he would have been kicked out I mean he shoots drugs into his eyes he took he took the drugs that could have eased Owen's passing. He he you find direct, that out at the end. He doesn't like he does his drugs out in the open. Yeah. Like you don't see him like close the shipping container and be like, don't come in here. As you'd think, but he's like, oh, I'm doing this willy nilly, baby. Come and watch me do morphine. Steal the morphine. Which I understood a little bit. It made some sense because of the piece of, you know, the shank in his back. But still, like it throughout the film, I felt he became rude like the animosity developed more so because he was strung out. And once he wasn't viewed as the leader anymore because all of his plans were just crap and Riddick started actually taking control. It was kind of like a jealousy thing too. Yeah. He, once he realized that John's, he was in effect, wasn't in charge. I mean, he just, he just started throwing out every single like weapon he had. Like he turned around. Yeah. He tried to turn the group against Fry when he said that she was going to barbecue you all. I know. He turned the group he tried to turn the group against Riddick, Fry. I mean, it was horrible. He was saying crap to everyone. The holy man. It's like how can you be mean to the holy man? Holy man was just telling everyone to pray. Well, granted, the Riddick the entire do- film. Like well, God is good. Granted, Riddick does the exact same thing to everybody, too. Yeah. He does, which is yeah, that is true. Like the only one he's not mean or nice to is Jack. Jack. That's only because Jack is doing everything she can to copy Riddick. Yeah. She literally shaves her head and gets goggles. It's hilarious. Like, how do you like him that much? I understand. Is it like a role model thing, or you is know, it like this weird, like, schoolgirl crush? I don't know. I understood. Because it could when be I, both. Because when I was 12, 13, I wanted to be like Riddick, too. I thought he was cool, man. I was like, this guy's awesome. He doesn't bow to no one. You were going to shave your head and get a shine job? Yeah. Well, for, like, when I was 12, 13, I'm like, that would be so cool, man, being able to see in the dark in case anyone sneaks up. I don't know. I thought it was an awesome character. You know, I do have a question about the planet they were stuck on. Okay, throw it at me. So if this is supposed to be, like, some type of geological survey outpost, okay, wouldn't you think the planet would have a name? 
<laughs> that is a big question. They keep saying the whole time, like, this is a no-name deserted planet. My reasoning for that is probably because all the people that got there were killed off before they could send the info. Oh, and my thing, too, if this eclipse is supposed to last for a long time <laughs> yeah. why aren't there any logs or journals or anything that says like hey we're being killed by all these creatures right like come on yeah i don't know i took that as just them fighting the characters are so selfish that they didn't care because when they got to the geological survey place the plant the first thing they went through was water and food they did not care about the people and where they went until one of the pilgrims dies. And they're like, well, where, where are these things coming from? Then they saw the bones and then they realized, oh, crap, these people all died. But you'd think that they would take the time to, like, look through the journals or no, something. No, all John's did was drop a flare down there and I don't think they saw any of the bones. And it's like, oh, look, that's a deep hole. Riddick did, though, I believe. Yeah. And then he was like, ooh. <laughs> Looks like it's where they all ended up. Yeah. My Riddick sounds a lot like Rocky, apparently. <laughs> All right. People don't leave their clothes on hangers and photos. If they're trying to escape. Right. Exactly. Well, I wasn't. that wasn't the only gripe that people had with this film. Are you ready for this week in toxic fandom, Sean? Oh, yeah. Bring on the toxicity, baby. So, once again, we have astronomy pedants that rear their heads. <laughs> so, the twin suns shown being blocked out by the rain gas giant are shown to be at the same location relative to one another in space. This is not possible as their gravity would have them tidally locked and thus would have destroyed them in likely half of their system. While it is possible that they would occasionally align, to do so more than briefly would tear them apart. So, this pedant lost me at tidally locked. <laughs> I don't claim to be an astronomer. I don't know how space works really that much. I could speculate on how space travel works, but I don't know about planetary orbits and eclipses <laughs> and all that. This just sounds like somebody who had an issue with a movie and had to let all of the internet know about it. <laughs> it's true. That's that's like really detailed too. So that person went to town. Yeah. See, I got one where it's just like John says it's a bit of a bad sign being being in Riddick's direction. Like when he first escaped, throws his goggles on the ground. So they're like, where did he went? And R and John says Riddick went towards the sunrise. Well, the person r responded with, there's three suns, two opposing and one. They couldn't have possibly known which one is sunrise and sunset, morning or afternoon or any of it. Yeah. Because which sun is the direction that he's going? Maybe that's why they took so long. And if there were three suns within close proximity to this planet, like the planet would just be on fire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything well, would be dead. Well, like we've said, the eclipse wouldn't have happened because with them being in line, it just it wouldn't have worked. And I don't know. They're, you know, the, when they show the eclipse, the planet closest to them was so big, like the eclipse would have ended in five minutes. But hey, whatever. I'll but chalk hey. it up to... They're not astronomers. But hey, it's a movie. It is a movie. And with all that in We're mind- We're not here for facts, man. With all that in mind, let's discuss the legacy of Pitch Black. Oh, yeah. So, modest box office success, I would say. Yeah. Grossed just over $53 million during its run. Yeah, on a 23 budget. Yeah, that's, that's not, not bad. bad. Currently holds a 59% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which uh, was a bit surprising. I know, considering- that out of all of the three films, this has the highest, or the last one has the best rating. 
Yeah, which is shocking. <laughs> well, surprise, surprise, the critical reception at the time was mixed. Yeah. Roger Ebert called this film a step back from Tui's previous outing of uh, The Arrival with yeah. Charlie Sheen, which it's been ages since I've seen that. I've never seen that. Yeah, that was way before Charlie Sheen went bug nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Charlie Sheen when he was, I always forget he was an actor <laughs> at one point. Like an actual actor that people enjoyed. Yeah. It was nominated for Best Science Fiction Film at the 1999 Saturn Awards. Yeah, there weren't many uh, awards, right? No major, other major nominations, though. It's kind of crazy, you'd think, because of all the sci-fi elements in it and interesting creatures. But yeah, as Sean said, this film has gone on to have cult success centered around uh, the character of Riddick. They made the Chronicles of Riddick, and the budget is huge. They gave it like $110 million. Yeah. Especially for a film that, I mean, it was modest success, but as... A lot of people know that Chronicles of Riddick was a box office failure. Yeah, they tried to turn Riddick into like this dark Luke Skywalker yes. type figure, and it was just, it was not going to work for Did this type of work. film. Yeah, I don't even think it would work in nowadays. Like the other night, I yeah. finished watching Pitch Black and I started watching like the first 10 minutes of the Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. And I was like, this movie is just such a complete departure of the first I one. Know. I have zero interest in watching this. And that's the sad part about it, because when you see this film, you're like, oh, wow, I'm curious to see what happens to these characters. You get Chronicles, and you're like, oh, whoa, what? What? What is this? And then they made yeah. Riddick. So, yeah, we have two standalone sequels following the success of Pitch Black. There's a third sequel film that's currently in development with David Toohey directing and Vin Diesel returning to star as Riddick, but there's been no release date that's been confirmed. Yeah. But there have been several rumors of television shows in development as well. But again, there has been no plot details released and no mention of any cast type. So it's unlikely we'll see any type of television show. Probably not. I mean, it's, I don't know if it has the clout, but you know what, with Netflix nowadays, they make TV shows about anything. So maybe they're probably going to release the film, see how it does, and then go TV. But we have gotten two video games from this franchise, which... Which are incredible. A lot of people enjoy them. A lot of people consider the video games to be better than the films, which is Mm -hmm. rare, to say the least. Well, they flesh out uh, Riddick so much more. You learn like how he gets his shine job, him being put initially in the jail that he escaped from. It's really... (laughs) I... When I read the premise for the video games, I wanted to play them. Yeah, I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't play the game, so I might have to go find it and play it and provide a review for that. (laughs) So I remember the trailers for them. Like these look awesome. (laughs) Yeah, if you've ever played the game, like add us on Twitter, like Instagram, or Facebook. Yeah, please let us know how Escape from Butcher Bay is, or uh, I think it's Assault on Dark Athena. If you've played those games, please let us know how they are and if they're worth our time to play. Mm -hmm. Um. Speaking of Vin Diesel, I mean, this really got his career going after this because he's gone on to have major success with the Fast and Furious franchise. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's still playing Riddick, obviously, and now he's Groot in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's uh, three major characters. He's built his career playing the same three characters. Pretty much. I mean, easy paycheck, right? I mean, is the typecasting argument for Vin Diesel, has it been earned at this point in his career? For him being like this guy, yeah, there'd be like this gruff type hero, gruff one-liner dishing gruff out type hero. Yeah, I think so. He's been doing his entire career. 
I don't think studios would take the chance on dishing him out for a drama role. I mean, the last drama role I think he did was like in 06. Yeah, I think he played some mobster who was defending himself in a court case. Yeah, and and Roger Ebert apparently loved that film. Or it's called Find Me Guilty, and it's I've seen it. Really good film. He has acting chops, but I just, I mean, if you're making money, do basically phoning it in, and your paycheck's like millions and millions, I'm not going to, you know. He's got a family and kids. Yeah. So. With all that in mind, Sean, what do you give Pitch Black on our rating scale of would it watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party. Oh, man. I'd probably host a viewing party for really? this. Really? You go that high for Pitch Black? <laughs> I'd show it in classrooms. I'd talk about the artistic. You teach youngins. That probably isn't a great idea. <laughs> I would show, uh, yeah, I'd talk about the art with the film and everything, the different choices the director made and X, Y, and Z, because I think it's perfect film if you want some easy, simple plot flesh out characters super awesome to me it's very enjoyable every time i watch it so don those goggles chris well we're gonna have to differ okay. on this opinion quite significantly i would have to call this a just a straightforward wood watch oh okay i thought it was gonna be the first one like wouldn't watch. no i mean i am not saying that this is a bad movie i am just saying that this could have been a better film than the one we've got yeah, because like you said, you wanted more horror elements, mm-hmm. and that's understandable. I get that. Well, especially in the last half hour of the film, mm-hmm. Tui could have definitely leaned hard into the horror aspect of the film. I mean, the the entire setting is in complete darkness. Mm-hmm. You have half the formula right there for a great horror flick. Yeah, that's okay. If you directed it, Chris. <laughs> I would, yes. <laughs> However, most of the science that is in the film doesn't make a ton of sense. No. And the computer graphics just now feel super dated. I mean, the characters aren't likable. No one is. Not mm-hmm. even Riddick. Maybe <laughs> if he, if we were going to put him like on a scale, I would say Riddick is slightly ahead of the least likable character. Yeah. Well, I guess for me, the likability of the characters is, I think they're unlikable because of the writing. And that's good to me. Whereas if, it's un- if they're unlikable because the writing sucks and the acting sucks then I'm going to hate it. But I think the writing's great with these guys. I'm like, yes! However, I do feel that because this is the start of a franchise and the subsequent sequels that we got and the quality of those films, it really diminishes this film. It does. Because you you see that this is the start of a trilogy and then it makes you want to watch the second film as I did and then you realize it's totally different than this one. It makes you shut it off. Yeah, because you're like, what is this crap? And then the third film is essentially the same film as Pitch Black, just on a different planet, and substitute the darkness for water. Yeah. That's all it is. Less scary monsters. The hit squads really aren't that. The dialogue's kind of cheesy, but you get a cute, adorable dog. Yeah, that's also killed. It's an alien dog, but it's killed. It's killed. Again, not saying this is a bad film. I'm just saying the franchise as a whole isn't great. So I think that's about enough for Pitch Black for this week's edition. What do you say we pick our next movie, Sean? Let's do it. So from a list of 118 films, we're going to enlist the help of our friendly random number generator AI, Major, Major Samantha. Samantha. <laughs> Thank you, Jimi Hendrix. You're welcome. <laughs> and from that list of 118 films, she has selected number 103. Ooh. It is the 1978 film starring Donald Sutherland and Ven- Veronica Cartwright 
It is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, da dun So we're diving back into the classics this week, or I guess it's a remake, which is also a classic. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll dive into that next week. Please watch and enjoy with us. If you enjoyed today's show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Forcefed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, ForcefedSciFi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. Force-fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.